0: Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right, so we are in part three of our series on James. We're going to finish up chapter one this morning. And the first two messages, uh, by the way, thanks to Bruce Dick for being here last week and and carrying the torch for a week while we were gone, but we're resuming James. The first two messages that we looked at in James uh, taught us, Um, how to handle trials and temptations. And those were some great encouraging words from Pastor James. And this week we're going to continue to see uh, an overarching theme in what we're going to read about listening and doing. Listening to the Word of God and doing it. But there's a few sub-themes that James mixes in there as well. So I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're just going to head right into this this, uh, section of, of verses. Lord, it it boggles my mind that years, hundreds of years ago, thousands almost, these words were written, and they were true then and they're true today. I love that. I love that, Lord, that you are never changing like shifting shadows, like we read about a couple weeks ago. I pray that your word that is constant and true would nourish our hearts this morning. Amen. All right, so we're going to be starting in verse 19 and going to the end of chapter 1. So that takes us to verse 27. Let's start here with verse 19, and we're going to kind of take it verse by verse, maybe a couple at a time, but mostly, mostly one at a time. All right. So verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So here James lists three things That all Christians are meant to practice. Remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to the, the Jewish Christians that have been scattered amongst the nations due to persecution. The first thing that James lists here is that we are to be quick to listen. My first thought when I read this verse is, well, okay, quick to listen, but listen to what? Right? That's an important question to ask. Uh, Verse 18, uh, a couple weeks ago, talked about the word of God. And we'll see here in a minute that verse 21 does the same. It talks about the word of God. The word is God's word. And James is exhorting his readers to listen quickly or promptly to what God is saying to them, both through the scriptures and also through what the Holy Spirit speaks to them as they pray and seek his voice. James is saying this because as a pastor, he understands the great benefits and the crucial importance that comes to listening to God's word. If as Christians, we don't listen to what God says, we don't spend time in scriptures, it's to our peril. Now, this feels to me like a kind of grounding of sorts. James is reminding Christians that the word of God is our foundation, and we need to be quick to always refer back to our foundation, to not lose the faith that we had when we first started with Jesus. A person who listens well, whether in conversation or when they're reading the Bible, is someone who is taking in knowledge, right? Because their mouth is closed and their ears are open. They are in a position to receive a person who doesn't take time to listen. Can't receive. Jesus says in Matthew four, verse four, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if there's a word that comes from God's mouth, we need to be quick to listen. That has to be our first reaction to problems, trials, temptations, or to when we get up in the morning. Lord, what do you have for me today? I want to hear your voice so that I may walk with you. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word, God's word, is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Consider this. If we do not take time to listen to God's word, we are walking in darkness. Even if we consider ourselves a Christian, without his word, we are walking without him. So being quick to listen to God's word is a wise move. This is how we truly live. This is how we gain guidance for our lives. The second thing that James talks about here in verse 19 is as we practice listening to what God's word has to say to us, we should also practice being slow to speak. And there's kind of two reasons that I've discovered, I think, why James would say this. First of all, because when we're talking, we can't listen. At least not very well, right? And the second thing is people who talk endlessly usually are people who have very little that is worth listening to. I've met people who are quiet and they don't say much. And sometimes I wonder, what's up with that? Why don't, why don't they just say what's on their heart? Why don't they express themselves? But sometimes when they do talk they can have some of the most amazing uh, insights on life because they're not constantly talking, but they have a good practice of listening and thinking before they speak. That's one of the things that attracted me to my wife. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but she's a little quieter than I am. That's okay. I like that a lot because I talk enough for both of us probably, and I learn a lot from her about what it means to be quick to listen and not speak all the time. Karen's not going to talk your ear off, but when she talks, she absolutely has many things that are worth listening to. At home, when when I weigh a decision, when I weigh uh, an understanding on Scripture, when I'm trying to gain a perspective on what other people might think, I go to Karen, and she usually has something brilliant to share with me. And I think it's because of her observant nature, where she's quick to listen and slow to speak. Just such a benefit to me. I remember a friend of mine in high school, uh, we went to the same church and the same youth group and stuff like that. His name was Ryan. Ryan was, we called him the gentle giant because he was a basketball player, super tall, but hardly ever said a word. But it was amazing when we were at youth group together and we were studying something or we were in a small group studying something with a leader and Ryan either volunteered something, which was rare, or when he was called upon, the words that came out of his mouth I listened to very carefully because he usually had way better insights than anyone else. Because the rest of us were rambunctious and we were just, you know, we use this term in our house, verbal diarrhea. It's just, everything just was coming out, right? And, and we couldn't put a filter on our mouth. But Ryan, he had those filters. And when he did speak, only the richest things came out. And I thought that was just brilliant. He was slow to speak and it was to his credit. When every single thought comes that enters our brain begins to pour out of our mouth, we reveal how little discretion we possess when we communicate. But when we are slow to speak, choosing our words carefully, we begin to operate with more wisdom. Have you guys ever heard the words verbal diarrhea from a pulpit before? This is my first time as well. I, I liked it personally. but. Matthew 17, or, uh, 12, verse 36 and 37 says, And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Interesting, isn't it? An idle word here is a thoughtless word when we speak without thinking. And what we say now will matter on judgment day. And the third thing here that James tells us in, uh, in verse 19 of James chapter 1 is he warns us to be slow to become angry. In other words, don't fly off the handle. Be patient with others and quick to forgive those who offend you. While it's not necessarily a sin to be angry or to experience the emotion of anger, it certainly is a sin to act out because of anger in our hearts. So why do we receive this warning from James about being angry? Verse 20 gives us the reason. It says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Interesting that James specifically mentions human anger. He doesn't just say anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. No, he specifies, he says, human anger does not bring about that righteous life. So what other forms of anger are there if James specifically says human anger? Well, there's also uh, something called righteous anger or godly anger. Think about this, okay? Jesus, who never ever sinned, was indeed angry when he braided a whip, turned over tables in the temple, and chased people out who were using the temple as a place for them to make profit. Luke 19 verse 46 has the quote from Jesus as what he says after he chases all these money changers out of the temple. He says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The son of God sees his father's house being misused and mistreated. Now, Jesus perfectly represents the father, does he not? So, of course, he's going to be angry when people are misusing something that belongs to his father or that is designated for the worship of his father. Jesus was angry at sin. And this is a good thing. Romans 12 verse 9 says, Hate, hate what is evil. That makes a lot of sense, right? Because if we're casual about what is evil, we may unintentionally allow it to take root in our lives. But when we identify it and hate it and detest it and we, we get angry at sin and unrighteousness, that's how we safeguard ourselves from falling into a line of thinking that is evil. So here's the difference. Human anger usually arises if we are offended, if we don't get our way or if our feelings or pride are bruised. Righteous anger comes when we see evil and sin violating the will of God. So here, just a couple other practical examples. Human anger could look something like, you know, if we get angry because someone's sitting in our pew in church. It's like, how dare you? That's my season ticket holder spot right there. I've been sitting there for 10 years. That's my place. You're right. If we get angry over that, that's on us. That is not righteous anger just because we're in church, right? Uh, we, we could get angry if someone cuts in front of us at the grocery line, right? If, if we're looking the other way because we're looking at the magazines thinking, ah, do I need those? No, I certainly don't. And then someone just jo- jumps right in front of us and we get angry. That's on us again. I get angry sometimes when the Winnipeg Jets lose, but that's not righteous anger. That's just me. So now some examples of righteous anger, and I'm just going to take examples from my own life. And if you choose to disagree with these things. I would honestly love to hear your opinion because I need to be refined in these things as well. But I feel that righteous anger comes up into my life when I see leaders, politicians, or people in authority taking advantage of people who are beneath them simply because of their position. I think that's an abuse of power and I think it's sick. I think it's absolutely perverted and I think that that is something that God hates I I also get angry when I see violence being justified in our media. You probably don't have to guess where I got that example from. I get angry too when, because I'm a pastor, I, I look at other pastors very carefully. I get angry when I see other pastors intentionally warping scripture in order to suit their own lifestyle beliefs or choices. And then they lead their congregations to believe something false that Scripture does not say. When Scripture says that something's a sin, and then a pastor stands up and says, Oh, well, it's different now in 2020 because we live in an enlightened time, that makes me angry. Because the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And if we don't believe that, oh man, are we ever standing on shaky ground. Friends, I've been thinking about this this week, actually, just... Quick John. here. If you ever hear something that I preach about and you're like, Ooh, I don't know about that. I've never heard that one before. It is actually your responsibility as a personal follower of Jesus Christ to crack open your Bible and figure out if I'm right or if you're right. And if we're both right or if we're both wrong, that's fine. We need to talk about these things. But the Bereans, the people who lived in the city of Berea, they were, um, they were encouraged or they were, uh, what's the right word? Commended. That's the one. They were commended because when Paul and Silas came to preach to them, they went to the scriptures and checked to see if what Paul and Silas were saying was true. They were commended for it. If if they were commended in scripture for doing that, surely God will commend you and bless you if you do the same. So if I say something and you're like, Whoa, I have never heard that before. I need to get into my Bible and double check if what Jeff is saying is true, you will be blessed. And if you find something that proves me wrong, please come and tell me because I would like a retraction. I do not want to live in error. I know that no, none of us do. Anyway, so those are some examples of, of anger. Um, so James is warning us that human anger, when we are offended and upset, will never produce the godly lifestyle that God, or the righteous lifestyle that God intends for us. So a quick story here. In my early 20s, I would have considered myself or described myself as an angry guy. I didn't yell at people. I didn't storm off from arguments. I didn't get into fist fights or anything like that. I didn't raise my voice or yell or, or swear or anything like that. But I, I often was agitated in my heart by other people. And I was quickly angry. I had a short fuse. And it felt awful. I hated living like that because I knew that it was just driving me nuts. And I knew that it was displeasing to God. So I bought a Christian book about dealing with anger, some sort of a self-help kind of deal. But I didn't finish that book because the crazy thing just ticked me off. (laughs) Oddly enough, right? A book about anger just kept making me upset. One thing, though, I do remember from that book is a line that said, you can't change the world, you can only change yourself. Man, is that ever true. Heart-piercingly true, right? I am the only one who can choose if I will be slow to become angry or lose my temper quickly. I am responsible for my own emotions. And righteousness in God's eyes is more important than being right in my eyes. Character trumps me winning an argument. That's why James warns us about this anger thing. And then James gives us a practical tip to support this living righteously mandate rather than angrily in this next verse, verse 21. Therefore, because anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. If anger, or any sin for that matter, has become a habitual issue, then it's time to do a spiritual inventory and purge every moral filth and evil thing that contaminates us. So many times we think that people just need to stop ticking me off and then I won't get angry. That's just not how it works, right? Because broken people get angry. Broken people sin. If I am consistently sinning, This means that there's something in me that's not right. It's not anybody else's fault. This is the moral filth and the evil that James talks about. And this is also why Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 18 and 19, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Ah, it's not what comes into us and, and upsets us or causes us to sin. That's not the issue. It's what comes out of us that is the source of sin. That's exactly what was going on in my life in my early 20s when anger controlled me. I had sin that I needed to deal with. The problem was me, not anyone else. And when we realize this, we need to confess and repent of our sins. This is how we can get rid of this moral filth and this evil that James talks about. Confessing our sins, admitting our mistakes to God, turning away from these sinful actions and receiving God's forgiveness is a powerful spiritual weapon. Satan wants us to think that it's everyone else's problem and we don't need to change. Because if we realize that we need to change, then we actually can come against our enemy. So friends, consider the times when we get upset. Consider the times when sin crops up in our life and say, oh boy, it's actually time for me to come to God and say, Lord, where do you want to start? Because I have some things in my life clearly that are not right, but I need them to be right because I want to be in right standing with you. This is a great teaching that James is giving us. He's just so encouraging. He, he shows us the, the problem and then he shows us the solution. Notice that he also says, humbly accept the word planted in you. See, James is writing this letter once again to believers. He's not, t- he's not speaking to non-Christians saying, hey, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. No, no. He's speaking to Christians who already have done that, who have already received salvation. So friends, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, believing that he gave his life for you to set you free from sin, then the word of God that James is imploring us to turn to is actually in you already. The power of Jesus is just waiting to be unleashed in you through confession and repentance. So we need to turn back to it. We need to humbly accept what's already been started in us and just continue on with it. I love, I love how James speaks these things. I just think it's so good. So a wise warning comes next here in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word... And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. The warning is this. If we just listen to what we read in the Bible. Remember, James says be quick to listen, and that was to the word. The warning is this. If we just listen to what we read in the Bible, but we don't take any action to obey what we've heard, we are deceiving ourselves about how devoted we think we are to God. If we're listening but not doing our devotion to God probably is not nearly what we think it is. The New Living Translation says that people who listen to God's word but don't do it are fooling themselves. That is a hard one to swallow because if we think about it, there's a lot of people who are at risk of simply listening to a message, doing their devotions in the morning, listening to a preacher on the radio or something like that, and then they go away and... That was fine, but now they're going to go and live their life. If we listen to God's word without applying God's word into actions in our lives, we are deceiving ourselves. We fool ourselves by saying, I'm a devoted Christian, simply because we heard what Jesus' will is, even though we were unwilling to do it. Think about this. A few chapters later here in James 4.17, James says, Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it that's a sobering verse. Knowing God's word and failing or refusing to act on it is actually considered sinful. Jesus never asked us to just know facts about him, but he did say, follow me or live your life as I am living mine. Luke 12, verse 47 to 48, Jesus, um, Jesus is teaching this. He says, and a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. When someone has been given much, like the word of God, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. A relationship with Jesus Christ can be characterized by two things. And these, these two things must be represented. First, knowing what Jesus wants. And the second thing is doing it. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says very quickly, very simply, if you love me, memorize all my commands. Oh, no, that's, that's wrong. It says keep my commands. Parents, what's something that, a little audience participation here, what's something that you have asked your kids to do at home, some sort of a chore or a task that you want them to do? Any, any volunteers? Take out the trash. Yeah, take out the trash. Anything else? What was that? Pick up the toys. My mom always had to repeat herself when I would ask about that one too. Anything else? Dishes. Dishes. Mow the lawn. Oh, clean, your room. clean your room. Slop the pigs, feed the cows if you live on a farm. All that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, like there are things that we want our kids to hear us saying, right? And here's my next question. Don't overthink this one because it's a lot simpler than, than you might think. What is the ideal response that your kids could give you when you ask them to do something? Obey. Do it, right? Exactly, just do it. That's exactly what we're looking for. Now, here's here's a hypothetical situation. What if your kids stood there? They looked at you right in the eyes. They listened to your instructions, and then instead of, mowing the lawn or doing the dishes, they went to the pool with their friends or they went and played video games or they sat in their room and listened to music. Would you call that obedience or disobedience? Say it loud and proud, parents. Amen. Yeah, I'm glad that we're all on the same page here. What if they came to you after this and they said, but mom, dad, I listened to everything you said. I heard you loud and clear. What more do you want from me? If a kid justifies themselves by saying to their parents, I heard everything you said, yet unapologetically they did nothing, have they fooled themselves about their love, their obedience, and the state of their relationship with their parents? I believe they have. Have they believed that just knowing their parents' will is good enough, but doing it is unnecessary? Kind of seems like it. And they would be in direct disobedience to their parents. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Is it possible that we act in this exact same way to Jesus? Just a quick reminder here. James wrote, Do not merely... Do not only, do not just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James continues in this vein here in verse 23 saying, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at themselves, they go away and immediately forget what they look like. Why does someone look at themselves in the mirror? They want to kind of figure out what's going on right here, right? They want to do something about their appearance. First thing in the morning, you get out of the shower, it's like, ooh, okay, we got a little bit of work to do here, and then we get to start on this, right? We look at our reflection so that we can act on what we see. For me, I mostly look at my reflection so I can see what my beard is doing. Some mornings it's tucked over one shoulder, some mornings it's folded in half, but that's why I look in the mirror, because I want to understand what's going on, what do I need to do? And so I look at at the mirror so I can see the truth about who I am. James is saying that it's futile to hear the word of God and not do anything in response, just like it's useless, useless to look at our reflection in the mirror and then just forget about everything that we saw. And he says here in verse 25, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Verse 25 here shows us the right response to receiving, to listening, and then doing God's word. Really, Pastor James is giving us four Bible study tips. Let's highlight these real quick. The first one is look intently into God's word. The Bible, or the perfect law that gives freedom, that's what James calls it, is God's word or the Bible. When we look at something intently, there is an intention or a purpose or a focus in what we're doing. It's not pointless. It's not just a whim, but we're doing it because we need to gain something from it. A haphazard glance at God's word will rarely yield much fruit in our lives. But carving out intentional time to sit down, to block out distractions, to find that quiet place where it can just be us and God and read his word, that is the start of looking into the Bible with purpose, to do it intently. The second thing he says is continue in it. Don't just do this once eight years ago, or or 20 years ago, or 40 years ago, but continue in it. This is a lifestyle habit that we are supposed to form. The Bible has much to say to us, and we need to study it not once, but many times and repeatedly. I will never master the Bible in my lifetime, and neither will you, but that is not a reason for us to say, oh well, if I can't be perfect at it, what's the point? It's all the more reason for us to say, I want to... I want to grow and grow and grow so that when I enter heaven, I'm going to be closer to heaven then than I was when my faith first formed. I need to go over scripture again and again. I I, I need to review it. My whole life is guided and grounded on the truth that I receive from spending time daily in this book. That's what James means when he says, continue in it. Keep going back to this buffet of spiritual nourishment. The word of God is an unlimited supply of wisdom and encouragement for you and for me. Third thing that James says is, don't forget what you read. Read it to know it and understand it and remember it, not just to be impressed by it and then say, oh, well, let's just go on with life. Often when I spend time in the morning with my devotions, I will read a passage at least five times and upwards of 10 times in order for me to understand it so that I can grasp what it's saying and then retain it, right? Because I'm not all that smart. I know you guys think I'm a brilliant pastor, but that's not the way it works, okay? I'm actually more average than a lot of people think, and I'm not that smart. I never went to Bible school. I don't have a lot of great habits in my life, but one that I do have is when I read the Bible and I see something that I don't understand, I don't shrug my shoulders the way I used to. Instead, I say, Lord, I'm not leaving this thing until you give me some understanding because your word is a light for my life. I can't continue to walk in darkness. I want to know what you're saying to me. And we dig and we press in and we read it over and over again. Whether it's a principle or, or sorry, whether or Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. This is kind of the whole point behind this one. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. They're not to be just on the pages of scripture. But these things are supposed to be transferred so that they're right here. So that when we're at work and we can't be in the word all the time, the word of God is alive and still working in us because we have spent time continuing in it and remembering it. And fourth, the final thing is do the word. Find a way to put actions to what you've just read. If you read about an instruction, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply that instruction into your life. Whether it's a principle, a promise, a law, a command, encouragement, an act of faith, a deed of love, look for ways to live out what you read in your life quickly. Don't say, Lord, eventually I'd like to get to that place. Sure, you can pray that, but don't delay and just say, well, the Lord is magically going to make that happen. It's up to us to do what the Lord is saying. And this comes with a promise. For those who hear and do do God's word, they will be blessed in what they do. There is no blessing that I see promised just for those who hear the word. There is a blessing here that we can clearly see for those who apply it. Verse 26. James kind of shifts gears here as we're closing off. In verse 26 he says, Those who consider themselves religious... And yet, do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. This kind of harkens back to what we said at the beginning, be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? This is along that same line. Careless or thoughtless speech adds no value to our lives. If a Christian thinks, as long as I believe the right things, as long as I go to church every once in a while, everything else in my life, what I do, what I say, it just doesn't really matter, That's a scary place to be. Once again, they have deceived or fooled themselves about their religion. This reiterates a lot of what we've talked about already this morning, so I won't go into great detail. It's not just a personality trait or a character flaw to talk too much or in a careless fashion. It actually, according to James, can render our religion, our devotion to God, worthless. That's what religion is. It's the things that we do in response to the faith that we have in Jesus. Verse 26 shows a negative example of the religious devotion that God is looking for in his people, and verse 27 gives us a positive example in contrast. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Is this verse saying that we all have to have a ministry specifically caring for orphans and widows, and if we don't, we aren't real Christians? I know some people who actually believe, see, the Bible says you have to adopt. You have to foster. You have to have a ministry to these things. That is absolutely an encouraged thing. That is absolutely right. But it's not a law. It's a principle, okay? So James is reminding us to look after the needs of others. Orphans and widows are simply one example, right? Just because James doesn't say, look after those or he doesn't mention, look after those who lost a loved one and are in mourning, doesn't mean that we don't have to do that, right? That would still be something good for us to do. So God, if we look at God's example, he's our father, right? And he stoops down and he loves and cares for us. James is just saying, hey, remember, God the Father accepts this kind of religion because this is the kind of thing that he's done for us. It's our responsibility to mimic the love and care and compassion of God. If we know someone who is in a vulnerable position, like an orphan or a widow, someone who is mourning the loss of a loved one, someone who's lost their job and is in financial pinch, it's up to us as Christians. We should lead the charge in responding to their needs and caring for them. This is the love that all of Scripture promotes and God our Father accepts. And at the end of this verse, we're told that to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. That's another thing. When we focus on doing the things that God himself has done, copying him, we're not going to be so susceptible to to falling into the lifestyle of evil and sin around us, right? I truly believe a key for this is a theme that I often come back to and we've touched on already today. Abiding in Christ. If we spend time with Jesus, being quick to listen to his word and allow him to be the primary the primary influence in our lives, as we hear his word and do it, this will definitely help us to resist sinful practices that can infiltrate our lives otherwise. When we practice listening to and doing God's word, we will naturally live lives full of love, following the example of Christ. And friends, there is no greater joy than living in the will of God. This love-based devotion is what God deems as acceptable.